Is your child asking questions on their homework that you don't feel equipped to answer? Is your child just struggling with a specific subject or need help with their homework? If you're dealing with any of these issues, you could maybe benefit from IXL. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. And it's so cost effective. A single hour of tutoring costs more than a month of IXL. I could have totally used IXL when I was in grade school. I was always having trouble with my homework. Ugh, I wish I had this when I was a kid. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And How To Be Fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. IXL.com slash fine. Hello and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalenta Greenberg. And today we're here with our feedback episode. Indeed we are. Every third week we share some of the stories you, our listeners, have shared with us about the topics we've most recently covered on the show. Because a lot of you write in and a lot of you have very great things to say. Today's topics are almond moms and bullet journaling. And all of you also have some great advice to share with our letter writers. Shall we dive in, Jolenta? Yes, let's dive into some almond milk. I mean, let's dive into <laughs> almond moms. <laughs> let's start with some of you who believe you might yourselves be almond moms. Yes. Sasha says... I've been thinking back a lot lately to my own journey with food and nutrition. I developed anorexia as a child and struggled all through my teen years. By the time I was 23 and pregnant, I thought I was in a pretty good place. I no longer starved myself. I thought I ate healthy. I followed the guidelines that I saw everywhere and then developed orthorexia. I thought I was feeding my children a healthful diet and doing it right. I wasn't obsessed with their weights. I was trying hard to just feed them properly. And I ended up the epitome of an almond mom. I would literally encourage water versus snacking. I didn't usually have any junk food in the house. All I heard everywhere was don't feed your kids junk. And now there's this complete reversal, which I don't disagree with, but also fuck it all. Some of us were trying really hard to heal ourselves and do our best and just did what the expert said, and yet here we are, the villains. I hope my kids see my parenting in the bigger picture, but I can also see how much toxic shit I placed on them, and I feel so bad about that, despite really trying my best. And I'm still struggling with food, eating, and my own health. I feel hopeless about that sometimes. Sasha, you are a product of your times, of what is being fed to you in the media, of all that shitty talk about no sugar and BMI and unachievable weight goals. Like 
Almond moms didn't develop in a vacuum. We don't have a shorthand for that kind of parenting because it's rare. Like it was fed to you, not to heap on <laughs> the food puns, but like it was it was a view that was fed to you. And it was fed to you with the messaging that you were doing what was best for your children. And of course, parents are going to do what's best for their kids at yeah. any given time in history. You know, it used to be best to give your kids like medicine with some cocaine in it. Now it's not like go figure. But we were all doing <laughs> literally what the experts told us to do. Yeah. And that gets to Lisa's comment, which I'll let you read, Jolenta. All right. This next letter from Lisa says, I had kids in the 1990s and 2000s. It was the height of the childhood obesity push. I know some of my not great mom moments were given to me as the most up-to-date wisdom by my own children's pediatricians and other professionals. I'm not looking to excuse my own mistakes, but just saying that the system sure sets us all up. Yes, it fucking does. Like all the almond mom advice like came from Oprah, as far as I can remember in my household. But where did Oprah get it from? She got and it from she doctors. Had doctors on the yes. show who were the leading experts in childhood health and obesity. And so these experts were saying on a huge platform, here's what is best. Here's the most up-to-date information. Yes. And it wasn't just talk shows. It was like hard news shows, like 60 Minutes, that were doing this. This was messaging that was everywhere. Going to the doctor's office when I was young, I remember that there was all sorts of literature, pamphlets and so right. on about your fat kid and what to do about it. And it really was everywhere. And the messages they gave also, a lot of it, they've changed their minds on like, don't ever let your kids touch fat. And it's like, you know what? Maybe they should consume some fat. Their brains are made out of fat. I mean, fat is not the enemy it once was. They change the rules all the time. So right. Lisa, yes, we know. You were being told this. It's not your fault that you were being told no. these messages. If you're an almond mom, it's not your fault. It's, <laughs> it's not, not your not fault, your almond fault. moms. It's, it's not your not fault. Your fault. <laughs> and lots of you wrote in to share stories of growing up with almond moms or almond nanas like Kristen did. Yes. Mel said, Kristen, thank you for spelling out that while almond moms often use health as their reason for food restriction, thinness does not equal health. My own mother did this her whole life, and it took me years to understand that health and dress size are two different things. I still struggle with this fact sometimes. We need more people like you and Jolenta reminding us of the truth. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. And yeah, size doesn't equal health. I've been dealing with this with my own physicians. When I first got sick with lupus, lost like too much weight. I thought I was just naturally shedding pounds. Turns out my body was not doing so hot. And I was underweight and my doctors were like, we got to get your weight up. Now I am pretty much the heaviest I've been in a long, long time. And I would consider myself, quote, overweight. But my physicians are like, great, we'd rather you have some extra meat on you than what you were doing before, because that's way more dangerous. And it's like, oh, right. You know, what I see does not equal like my health level. Oh, gosh, not at all. I mean, if it did, cocaine addicts, to go back to cocaine again. Right. Wait. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Look at how healthy they are. They're all so skinny. It's like, no, no, they're, <laughs> oh, no. they're doing something horrible to their bodies. Yes. Jamie can also relate to growing up with some almond parenting. Jamie says, 
my grandmother was similar to Kristen's Nana. We had a multi-generational home and my grandmother was in charge of the kitchen. We grew and preserved a lot of our own food and lived in farm country. I didn't have control over the food in the house. And yet when it turned out that I, like most of my family, have Germanic build meant for labor and surviving famine, my grandmother shamed me nonstop for not being able to control the food I had access to or my genetics. That's so often the way it goes, though. I mean, things that we see in ourselves as physical flaws, as soon as those flaws, I'm saying in quotes, show up in our kids, we start freaking out, right? Like, oh no, does my daughter or granddaughter have my thighs? Those are terrible. And it's like, nothing's wrong with those thighs. They're fantastic thighs. And your insecurity about your thighs, you need to not put that on your kid. Totally. Yeah. And we're just built the way we're built. And yeah, access to food is a real issue. Not everyone has access to the same food. That's very, very true, Jamie. And just shaming kids as they grow up for the food that you give them access to is always such a mindfuck. Yeah, it's not like the kids created the food systems. The kids didn't invent those. Right. And I loved that a few of you wrote in because you felt your almond dads were as much an issue as your almond moms or nanas. Stephanie says, not only did I grow up with a mom who would constantly criticize her own body in front of me and eat green salads with no dressing for dinner, but I have vivid memories of my dad criticizing other women and calling them things like fat cows. Shocker, I developed an eating disorder in high school. I am determined to have a healthy body image now and never engage in that sort of behavior in front of my own daughter. But I know it's not just on me and other women. Men need to do better, too. So I appreciate you calling that out in your show. Another anonymous writer seconds this, saying, I have an almond mom, and looking back at my childhood, I'm not only disappointed in her behavior, but also in my dad for watching it happen and doing and saying nothing about it. I'm hoping that bringing it to the discussion will make the next generation of dads more watchful of this type of behavior. Right. Doing nothing is condoning it, dads. Yes. I mean, I grew up with like what I'm now realizing is a pretty shitty dad. But, you know, he would sit by and not only make the comments that all almond moms make about like, do you need that snack? Or like, you know, are you sure you're hungry? Do you really want to eat all that, Jolenta? Yeah. He also, like, would constantly be like, that person's fat and gross. And also, when my mother would criticize her own body or only eat the salads with no dressing. Oh, what a, like, flashback. Oh, so terrible. But, like, he never commented with, like, wait a minute, you're perfect as is. I love your body. It's beautiful. You know, he just sat back and was like, "Mm mm-hmm, women should be eating just piles of spinach with no dressing. Oh, the worst. I'm getting these flashbacks too, Jolenta. Just right. Yeah. Uh, once I saw you like physically react to the salads with no dressing. I love salad, but you know I put lots of dressing and hot dogs on my salad. So I mean, come on. No. Is it a salad without, you know, something oil-based drizzled all over it? <laughs> and like probably a heavy amount of cheese? No. <laughs> We're going to take a quick, quick break. But reminder, you can always share your stories and ask for advice at kristenangelenta at gmail.com or weigh in on facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelenta. Coming up, we take note of all your bullet journal comments. Stay with us. 
we are back. And now, Jolenta, it is time to talk about bullet journals, a.k.a. Bujo's. Let's go. <laughs> Bujo, go. That was like a, like a Power Rangers. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. Bujo's, go. <laughs> Turns out uh, a few of you like bullet journaling as much as I do. A lot of you, actually. Oh, my gosh. So many comments. Yes, lots and lots of comments about bujos and layouts and all sorts of fun stuff <laughs> on the Facebook group. Emlyn wrote in to say, I started bullet journaling back in 2016 when I was in grad school and I had so many things to keep track of. Date books never worked for me and were always frustrating thanks to undiagnosed ADHD. So the flexibility of the bullet journal really appealed to me. I fell in love with the system and it honestly has helped my mental health so, so much. Something I think Jolenta didn't cover in her explanation, and I don't blame her, there's a lot to cover, was the reflective aspect of it, which is the element that I think has been the most helpful to me. Whenever I hit the end of the month or year, I take some time to reflect in my journal about what I did and how I feel. If I fall off bullet journaling, I have reflection questions for that too. What works? What doesn't work? What can I change to make this useful and helpful again? Part of the advantage for me is that I can change things as my needs change. And just because something stopped working doesn't mean it wasn't useful before. Oh, that is great. This sounds like something that's much more than a schedule keeper to you, Emlyn. Right. Jolenta, has that been your experience as well? A bit, yeah. You can look back and reflect and sort of see where you were, where you've been. And it's pretty easy to tell like what doesn't work because you'll just like have stopped doing it. So it's easy to sort of visually go back and see what has been working and what hasn't been. And I keep old bullet journals like sort of the way people keep diaries. Mm -hmm. I, I will even admit back when I did keep paper date books, sometimes every once in a while I would look back and just remember like, oh, that's the day I went on that picnic at three right. o'clock in the park. <laughs> We're like, that's that week I like barely made it through finals. Wow, look at how busy I was. <laughs> yes, yes. So if journaling helps you to look back fondly on things or assess your life in a better way, then I'm, I'm really glad that's happening for you, Emily. I'm glad that your uh, bullet journal helps you with that. And some of you really like the flexibility of bullet journaling and basically only use certain aspects of it or let it sort of come and go with the seasons. Yes. Macon says, I love the idea of a beautiful bullet journal for organizing myself, but I didn't end up keeping up with the future log and monthly logs, which means I don't use the system as a whole, but I did keep parts of it. I now use the little bullets in my work notebook. I make a list of things for each day and I use the bullets from the system. If I didn't get to a task yesterday, I write it again for today. This system has been working great for me. For long-term things, I use Google Calendar and at work we also use Jira as a project management tool. So those basically take care of the function of a future log and monthly log. Nice. Yeah. Making the system work for you. Making is making the system oh, work. Oh, well done. Aye, aye, Jolenta. Aye. Yes. Vicky, it'll be harder to do it with your name. Um, <laughs> Vicky, Vicky wrote in to say, when I first started bullet journaling, all the beautiful artistic spreads made me feel really bad about myself. I'd spend such a long time trying to recreate them, trying to learn calligraphy because it felt like my spreads weren't good enough. And I lost sight of the point of using the bullet journal to begin with. 
I eventually got to a really great place where my bullet journal was more of just a weekly log for me to keep track of everything. I have to admit that it helped me to actually leave the Bujo communities, unsubscribe from the YouTube channels, and stop comparing myself to others. But when the pandemic started, I switched over to a passion planner. At the time, I really needed the structure and looking at a blank page every morning and having to create that structure for myself wasn't doing anything for me. Now that things have calmed down a little bit and I feel like I'm able to pick myself back up, I've gone back to blank notebooks because I no longer lack structure. Now I'm craving a little extra creativity. Vicky, you seem like you know yourself so well. Yeah. This kind of self-knowledge, knowing at this point in my life, I need this. At this point in my life, I don't need that. I, I wish we were all so self-knowing as you are. It really sounds like you have it figured out for yourself and what works yeah. for you and you know what makes you feel bad. Following these you know, bujo makers makes you feel bad. Being creative right now makes you feel good. And I'm, I'm really happy for you. You figured that out. Yeah. And you're able to know how it ebbs and flows, too, and take stock of like, I'm in a different place right now. Let's try it again. Very impressed. Yes. But let's face it. Some of you wrote in to say that you just aren't the bullet journal type. Yeah. Krista says, I'm only 10 minutes into the bullet journaling episode, and I'm exhausted just listening to it. Emily says, because of my ADHD and dyslexia, I really struggle with bullet journals. I never know the date or day of the week. I mix up my number order and things have to be written over and over. Plus, they come with the risk of getting hyper-focused on the journal and spending two hours planning and then eventually running out of time for the tasks I actually need to do. It's all just too overwhelming for me. And Maddie says, I cannot wrap my mind around the bujo. I've tried a few times. I get incredibly overwhelmed by all the things, the art, the tracking. It's just too much. But I wish it worked for me. You know what, Maddie? It's okay if it doesn't. It's totally yeah. fine. You don't have to wish for something that doesn't work for you. It's fine. No, no. I'm giving you permission right now to let that wish go. You don't need to wish for that. It's fine. Yep. You know who else doesn't like bullet journaling, Maddie? My new therapist, because she called <laughs> She called after this episode and was like, I don't know if this is serving you. It might be keeping you in a holding pattern of like feeling inadequate because it uh, seems like you spend a lot of time trying to perfect it. And I'm like, well, shit, that's oh. an interesting point that I need to think about for a minute. Wow. Well, all of you out there, think about that while we take another quick break when we're back. We have some great ideas from all of you for our advice seekers. We are back with some additional advice for our recent letter writers. Yes. Regarding the advice seeker whose trainer follows worrisome social media accounts, Vicky says... I don't see a follow to be an endorsement of an account. I'd be looking to see likes on particular posts if I'm trying to figure out the person's values, or I would just go old school and ask them directly. I think following a wide range of accounts is fairly important to avoid living in an echo chamber. Sometimes this means I'm exposed to more problematic viewpoints. When it gets too much, I either unfollow or mute, but either way, it acts as a sense check to see others' perspectives. Many issues aren't binary, and following a range of accounts can provide insight into various complexities and open my eyes to my own biases." I'd be more concerned to see someone living in a vacuum. 
I love that you need to check for the likes. Why didn't I think of this? (laughs) You got to just take the slew thing a little bit further. Click on some of those problematic posts and be like, do they show up in the likes? Because Insta will tell you if someone you're friends with has liked it, like they'll show up first. So it's pretty easy to tell. And, you know, when push comes to shove, if you really are still questioning it, like and feel comfortable approaching them, why not ask? Yeah. Yeah. Great advice, Vicky. Thanks for sharing that. And now we have some advice for the person who's working so fast at her job, she's worried she's ruffling feathers. Kathy says, I was very much that person in a previous job who had higher productivity than the rest of my team, put up with rude comments from coworkers, and was given more work by supervisors with no promotion to go with it. And it was upsetting. It reminded me of my high school days, which were similar and made me wonder what I was doing wrong professionally. But at that job, one thing I did do with my time was watch professional development videos on the company website where they had a whole library or LinkedIn learning or even on YouTube. No one complains if they see you watching a training video. Full disclosure, sometimes I used to put on a YouTube video about complicated spreadsheets with the sound off so it looked legit, but my earbuds were really listening to comedy podcasts on my phone. No one ever noticed. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Kathy, you genius. So stealth. Kathy. Wow. But but you are actually doing something useful here for your workplace. You are most of the time watching videos that are for professional development. That's going to make you better at that job, even if the videos you're watching, you're only semi paying attention to, right? And that's such a good workaround for, yeah, like trying to sort of entertain yourself or kill free time, but not looking like you're just shopping online. Yes, 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 yes. Great, great advice. And finally, we have some feedback for our tall advice seeker looking for love. Steven says, for the letter writer dating while tall, I think it would be good to be open to shorter guys. I like the occasional short king myself. You might be worried about a short guy, but you can use your height to your advantage like a built-in test. If they're not secure enough to date someone as tall as you, they aren't secure enough to handle someone as great as you either. Keep your chin up and move on. Be open to what comes along. Keep going where the people are, and it will happen. That is good advice, Stephen. Don't think of it as like something that's ruling you out or ruling someone else out. Just think of it as a built-in test. Can they handle this much me, this much awesomeness, this much woman? Oh, they're a little intimidated. They cannot. Bye-bye. That's a them problem. That is a them problem. You are not too much woman. They might just not be enough man. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That is it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Thanks to everyone who wrote in. And huge thanks to our production team at Stitcher, our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder to tell a friend about the show if you haven't already and rate and review us in whatever pod player you use. We appreciate it so much. And most people learn about their new favorite podcast by word of mouth. Why not hear it from your mouth? Until next time, I'm Delanta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next week, stay fine.
Stitcher.